Hey, my name is Jason. I'm the producer of It Starts With Attraction. I wanted to let you know that we have a brand new website solely dedicated to working on your pies. Introducing ItStartsWithAttraction.com. You can listen to every episode, learn about the pies, and sign up for our weekly newsletter. Go to ItStartsWithAttraction.com. It starts with attraction, one word. It starts with attraction.com to get signed up today. This week on It Starts With Attraction. The other thing that is not lost on me is that this concept that we aren't good enough the way that we are didn't start with social media. It didn't start with even the past couple of hundred years of media and society. This is something that's been around since the beginning. There's a process to falling in love, and it starts with attraction. Join Kimberly Beam Holmes and her special guests as they discuss how to become the most attractive you can be, physically, intellectually, emotionally, and spiritually, or as we refer to it, working on your pies. We'll teach you how to have better relationships and become more attractive to others, and maybe more importantly, to yourself. It starts with attraction, and it starts now. I've noticed over the past couple of years as I have been talking to groups, to people all around on the podcast about the pies, about these four areas of attraction that we call the pies, that there are some people who really love the physical part of attraction and there are some people who really hate the physical part of attraction. It's kind of one of those things where it's kind of like when I first start talking about it, the physical aspect of pies, since it's the first one in the acronym, people kind of sit back in their seats and they kind of roll their eyes and they're like, "Ugh, I get it. I get it. I'm not pretty enough. I'm not handsome enough. I'm not muscular enough. I'm not skinny enough. I'm not curvy enough. I'm not fill in the blank, tall enough. (laughs) There's so many things in so many ways that culture has told us that we're not good enough. And it's amazing how so much of it really attacks our looks. And I find that fascinating. Yes, there are other parts of culture and society and messaging that we hear about maybe how we're not smart enough or heavens. When I, when I was a youth intern before I got married, when I was in college, I was an intern for a youth group. And there was a man in the youth group who told me that I was not submissive enough. I wasn't even married. I'm not even going to get into all of that right now. But man, that lit me up. He believed a woman's place was in the kitchen. And he was not kidding when he said it. Y'all, we're hearing messages everywhere that we are. Even for men, there's messaging that you should make more money. We hear all of these things everywhere all of the time. And I don't know, when I sit here and think about all these messages we hear, sometimes it boggles my mind that any of us are able to go about our day without having nervous breakdowns because it just seems like everyone has a reason to tell us that we aren't good enough. And it's typically combined with trying to sell us something, trying to sell us how we need the, be- the best weight plan, the newest gym equipment, the whatever, whatever it is, whatever it is, that that thing is going to be what fixes us. It's 
It's going to be what makes us desirable again, what makes us lovable, what makes us sexy, what makes what makes all of those things just fall into place. And how many times have you believed that marketing, believed those gimmicks only to be found with false promises and false hope on the other side of it? And that's why I believe that there are many people who they love physical attraction. They love hearing about it. They love talking about it. They love doing it. But then there's this other set of people who just doesn't want to hear it anymore because they know they get it. They've, they've heard enough that they're not good enough and they just want to turn their ears off. And I get it. When we look at the science of motivation, uh, there's actually many different ways I could talk about the actual science and research of motivation, but I'm going to be talking specifically today about approach versus avoidance motives. And an approach motive is basically when, when someone says, I'm going to do this thing because it's something I want to do, right? That's kind of self-explanatory. I'm going to feel good about doing it. I'm, it's something that's good for me. I can see the benefit of it. Or maybe they even say, I can see the good that this does for other people. And because I want other people to, to experience that, I'm going to do it. And I want to do it because of it. All of those are under approach motives of motivation or Another way to say that is approach motives of doing anything. But avoidance motives, on the other hand, is when someone still does something, but they're doing it because they want to not experience a negative reaction. They do something because they don't want to hear their spouse continue to complain, or they're doing something because they already feel like they they aren't good enough the way they are. So one example of this could be someone who goes to work out but they're doing it because they already hear from their spouse all of the time that they need to lose weight, they need to get in better shape, and they kind of just eye-rollingly go to the gym just to shut their husband up or to shut their wife up, right? And we can apply this to several different things. But it's those avoidance motives where I'm going to do something, but I'm really doing it because I just don't want to experience the backlash if I don't that leads to resentment. Over time, it leads to people hating doing the thing. And over time will probably lead someone to just stop doing that thing. And if I were going to kind of summarize the way that this is happening in our culture, I would say this is happening to many people when it comes to physical attraction, to, to this idea, especially this, this looks-based part that society tells us is important about physical attraction, that people just want to turn it off. And they just want to say, I resent it. I resent people looking at me and making an, a sexual object out of me. I resent that that's, that that has to be part of what society does. I'm just going to turn it off. Now, the downside of this is so many times that just leads people to continue to feel the worst that they can feel because they stop working out because they have negative associations with it. They stop eating healthy because they've associated food with so many emotions and maybe turning to food as a comfort for all of these negative emotions they're feeling about themselves. And there's all of these cycles. I know I've been there, totally been there. In fact, there were several years, uh, many years ago, uh, probably about 10, eight to 10 years ago was the time that I was turning to exercise, turning to healthy eating and all of that stuff. But I was doing it not really, I did want to. But I was doing it because my true intention behind it was I wanted to feel good enough. 
I wanted to feel sexy. I wanted to feel attractive. And I didn't for most of my life growing up. I um, I was not the girl that guys pursued in middle school or high school or even college. I was not like my friends in that sense. I had many friends who just had boyfriend after boyfriend and all of these things. And I, I never had that. In fact, I had one really serious relationship in high school and it, he, he, he hurt me very much after several years of dating. And I took that, that belief that I was not lovable into my future. I ended up suffering extreme depression. I had a very clinically severe depression um, for the last part of my teenage years into my early 20s and, and just carried that weight of there's something about me that's not good enough. I had friends in, in middle school. I had a friend that experienced this as well, but in a different way. She was just like me, like she looked like me, but we were both built the same way. But she had a mother who really cared a lot about image and about specifically physical image, like how people looked. And she really cared about how her daughter looked. And she would tell her daughter often that she was fat. Her daughter wasn't fat, like not at all. And she was 13 years old when she was hearing this from her mother and her mother would restrict her diet. She would only allow her, uh, she would only allow her daughter, I'll call her Sarah. She would only allow her daughter, Sarah, to eat a very small lunch at school. Her daughter ended up joining the, the track team in order to kind of shed some of this weight, which again, like you're 13 years old, half of it is baby weight. And she wasn't even, she wasn't even, it, so it wasn't even like it was really for her health. It was just because she wasn't quite as skinny as she wanted her to be. And so she was telling Sarah all of the time, you're fat. It was never from this, from this sense or this place of you're beautifully created and your body is something to take care of. So let's celebrate eating healthier foods and being active. It was done from a place of you're not good enough. And so you need to work to get good enough. And man, how much does that apply to our lives? In some way or another, I would bet that you have that thought about yourself in some aspect of your life. And I think for many people, it does revolve around physical attraction. And this is why in the beginning, when physical attraction and the pies, when my dad created this whole framework, he would talk about it in a way of, of looks. He would say, it's looking the best that you can for your age and situation in life. Looks are important when it comes to a relationship and when it comes to attraction. It, there is an aspect of it for that. But when I really started taking this over and getting really obsessed about this, this concept of pies and all these areas of attraction, the first thing that I said had to be expanded was the way we talked about physical attraction. Because it has led, not, not pies, but the thought of physical attraction has led to so many people having self-esteem issues, eating disorders, all of the things, because we associate our looks with the rest of our self-esteem way too much. And that's when I said, it's not just about how we look. Physical attraction is about how we feel, how we feel about ourselves 
in how we we treat ourselves, how we care for ourselves so that we can physically show up intellectually, emotionally, and spiritually to the best that we can for ourselves and for the people in our life. But the other thing that is not lost on me is that this concept that we aren't good enough the way that we are didn't start with social media. It didn't start with even the past couple of hundred years of media and society, this is something that's been around since the beginning, since the beginning of time. Now, for those of you who are not Christians, bear with me. I believe that you will have a a takeaway from this story that I'm about to tell you. And for those of you, of you that are Christians, then listen in, <laughs> because This is one of my favorite parts of scripture, one of my favorite stories. In the very beginning, we see in scripture that God created the heavens and the earth, and he spent an intentional amount of time focusing on developing all of these areas of the universe, developing the earth, developing the and creating animals, land, sea, light, darkness, all of these things. He was intentional about creating. And then it says that he got to the day where he created humans, where he created man and where he created woman. And we see that when he talks about it, he created them in his image. Friends, I believe that that is a very, very pregnant verse and verbiage to talk about how we're created. I know that it has to do with being created in the image of of having a part of us that's full of love and compassion and all of the great things that God wants for our lives. But I just also have to believe that there's a a way that we physically, like the, the way that we appear here on this earth, the way that our bodies are and our faces and all of the things, that somehow that's in the image of God too. That it's not just about what's within us, it's also about what is on the outside of us. And then we see much later, several, a couple thousand years after that happens, we see that Jesus comes in our human form as well. There's something to it. There's something to how God has created us because we look different from all of the other animals. We act different. We have, we have brains that process differently, all of those things. And so when we were created, God made us in his image, both man and woman, both having unique aspects to each of them that God created us in the way he created us for a reason. I fully believe that. But the other thing that we see begin to happen just a couple of chapters later is that there is this serpent that enters the garden. Well, so for those of you who don't know the story, let me back up a bit. When God created man and woman, he placed them in the Garden of Eden. And it's this amazing paradise where they had everything they could have ever wanted and that God was walking there among them. And the way that I described it to uh, the Marit Helper team, I was I was talking about this with all of them a couple of weeks ago and teaching on it. I said, it was a pie's paradise. I mean, let's be real. They had freshly grown whole foods on all the trees that they could see. They had sunlight. They didn't have any stress. I bet they were sleeping amazing. When we talk about the physical part of attraction and all of the things that I teach that go along with that, every part of that was 
was rampant and and overly available and accessible in the Garden of Eden. How amazing is that? But it was also in this that God realized that he wanted his people to have free will. And so there were these a couple of different trees that he specifically put in the garden. And one tree was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the thing about this tree was that God had asked them to not eat from it because I believe he knew, he knew the heaviness that they were going to have to carry and endure once they knew evil. God wanted to protect them from that. And so he tried to create this paradise where, where people could live and, and live in all of the fullness that God had wanted for them. But he also didn't want them to just be slaves to it. He didn't want them to be robots. And so they had a choice, but he had asked them not to because he knew it was better for them to not have to understand evil. But there was a serpent that came into the garden that is Satan. And when he came into the garden, he said to the people, did God really tell you that? Did God really tell you that you shouldn't eat from it? Or is it because he's holding out on you? This is not a, an exact wording of what's in the Bible, by the way, if you want to read it, it's Genesis 3. This is Kimberly's paraphrase. And he starts getting them to doubt that God had what was best for them in mind. He started to get them to doubt that the way that God made them wasn't good enough, that there was something about them that was lacking, that was missing, and that they could find it through this tree, through eating the fruit that was of this tree of good and evil. The message was, even though you have all you could ever want or need here in this garden, you're lacking. You're not good enough. And he said to them, if you eat of that tree, you'll be like God. And God just doesn't want you to be like him. That's what Satan was telling them. And it, he didn't mean that you were going to be like God in the sense that you were actually going to become a God. He meant that you would then have judicial authority yourself. When you know the knowledge of good and evil, you'll have the ability to make your own decisions of whether to do good or whether to do evil. And the footnotes of my Bible, as I was reading through this, talked about judicial authority, meaning determining right from wrong for yourself and not based on what God believes is right and wrong for you. So they ate of this fruit of the tree of good and evil. And the first thing, the first thing that they do is they look at themselves they look at their bodies and they are ashamed. They realize that they are naked and they want to cover themselves up. The weight of this is not lost on me. How that is how we still feel about ourselves. That we're not good enough. That there's something we need to do. There's something we need to eat. There's something we need to consume, fill it in, whatever. If we could just do that, we would be good enough because we look at ourselves and we say, I'm not good enough. I want to cover myself. And it's a lie. It's a lie because God had already told them that they were good. When he created them, he didn't just say they were good. He said they were very good. He was more than pleased with his people. He was more than pleased with us. 
He's more than pleased with you. But there's a lie of Satan that comes to tell us that we're not. And it forces us to cover ourselves because we're ashamed. And the next thing that we see in Genesis 3 is that God, after this happens, he comes walking in the garden looking for them. And he already knew it, but he realized that they were covered. And he said, what are you doing? And they said, we realized that we were naked and we were ashamed and we had to cover ourselves and we, and we X, Y, Z, right? They give all these excuses because they, they're ashamed of who they are at this point. And God looks at them and friends, I can't imagine God saying this with an angry voice. I imagine that the next words that came out of his mouth were full of a broken heart. When he says to them, who told you that? Who told you that you weren't good enough? Because in my eyes, you're very good. I don't know what it is that you may be struggling with. And I don't know who told you that. But if you're feeling ashamed, if you're feeling like you're not good enough, or that you need to work to strive to be better, to avoid rejection or hurt or loneliness, then you need a reminder today that you are made in the image of an almighty creator. And he created you just right. Yes, there's a place for improvement and for discipline. We see that in scripture as well. And yes, we have fleshly desires. For those of you who who you don't understand what that means, that's fine. It means that we have a sinful nature to us. We have a part of us that's selfish. And and that part's not good. I would say it's a consequence of this knowledge of good and evil because now we have this evil that's always tempting us, but it's not the way that God created it. It's not the way God intended it to be. And so, yes, we need to keep all of that in mind, but if there's anything that you're saying about yourself or to yourself that's coming from a place other than knowing that you start by being completely loved, then it's not of God. I can still feel completely loved and want to do better. And how much better is that than for me to start by feeling completely not good enough and striving to win approval? Those are two different things. We could be, I could be doing the same thing in either of those circumstances, but depending on how I feel about it, whether I feel like I'm doing it to win approval and love or because I'm coming from a place of being fully loved makes all of the difference. The tactic used several thousand years ago is still the tactic being used today. It was so effective. It was the first one. It's the last one because it's the tactic of you're not good enough the way God made you. And so we seek all of these other things to make us happy. And it's really interesting because when you look at the research I love this. I've been doing so much research for my doctoral dissertation over the past two years. I um, have been buried in it sometimes. (laughs) 
But my research that I'm doing, a lot of it I'm doing on self-esteem and self-worth and what are these components of self-esteem? What actually leads someone to have higher levels of self-esteem? And here I would like to read from you an exact clip from a research study that I read that was focusing on the contingencies of self-worth. So what are the several instances in someone's life that actually leads to an increase or a decrease of their self-worth? Here is what is amazing. So here's what the research says. When focusing on the physical component of self-worth, most women see a negative correlation with their overall self-worth. So what that means is this, and this study just happened to only be done on women, but I believe it could be uh, generalized to men as well, although I don't, I have not seen the research on it yet, that when a person focuses on how they look, on the appearance part of their self-worth, that they actually start to have a decrease in their self-worth. However, investing in appearance contingent self-worth and approval from others has been associated with increased body surveillance and reduced appearance satisfaction. So what that means is that the more that people invest in making their, in changing their appearance to try and be prettier, be more handsome, all of those things, the more that people do that, and it leads them to also focus more on approval from others, that those two things lead to a person being more aware of their body. Body surveillance is what it's called. So they're more focused on their body, but it also leads to reduced appearance satisfaction, which means they actually, the more they focus on their looks, the less satisfied they are with how they look. However, investing in other contingencies of self-worth, such as academic competence, God's love, and family support has been associated with a lower body surveillance and higher appearance satisfaction. Academic competence, I would summarize as intellectual attraction. It's that, it's that area of self-worth that's talking about, are you learning? Are you continuing to grow? Are you trying to excel in the things that you're learning? Family support, I would put as emotional attraction. It's being around those people that are evoking strong emotions in you that evoke good emotions in you. And God's love. This is secular research. This is secular research. But they could not... They could not overlook the fact that there was a component of self-worth that came from believing that there was a creator that fully loved you. And the higher that a person felt of God's love, the more self-worth that they had, the higher self-esteem that they had. That's spiritual attraction. So while there's a place and a time for these, this part of physical attraction, there are so many other parts of it that feed into making all of this work together. And I find it so amazing. I believe that people can change the way that they feel about how they look by focusing on these other parts, especially focusing on how much God loves you as you are, because he made you as you are. And he said that you are very good. I only have one key takeaway from you from this episode today. This is really an episode to get you to think about the way you're thinking about yourself and talking to yourself. But my key takeaway is a question. 
how does this apply to you? All the things I've talked about today, what change are you going to make in your behavior or in your mindset because of what you heard? And then finally, who is someone that you can share this with who needs to hear this truth today? Please go and share it with them. Until next week, stay strong.